0: There's been different times in my life, over the last sort of 20 years or so, when I've been um, stressed. Uh, and the way I get stressed, or well, the way it manifests itself in my life, is that I wake up at about two o'clock in the morning and I can't sleep. And I have terrible sleep. Um, and I also get this rash on the palms of my hand. Um, so, um, you know, I'd be studying for exams or something and I'd be getting this rash, and it's like, uh, I know that I'm stressed. I'd have different um, kind of me- mechanisms for dealing with it, but none of them were that effective. Um, I don't know if you're the kind of person that gets up late at night or wakes up in the middle of the night thinking about all the things that are, you, know, you have to deal with, the stresses that you have. Well, this is a um, story in Daniel. It uh, starts, the start of the chapter in Daniel 2 with a king who's waking up in the middle of the night um, and he's stressing and he's waking up night after night. Um, he, uh, he's in the second year of his reign and he's probably worried about what kind of king he is but then he has this dream that concerns him and it's a very vivid dream and he can sort of t- I think he sort of can tell what it means but he needs to get an interpretation because he's kind of concerned about what he's seeing it's a mysterious dream but it's a dream that doesn't end well now in Babylonian culture, they really believe that God spoke through dreams, so um, they took this seriously when you had these recurring dreams. or well, in, in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, it was a nightmare. Um, it was about the destruction of a statue. Um, what were what Babylonian gods telling him something? Was he that statue? Was he going to be killed? Is there an assassin out there? I wonder what he's thinking. So he summoned summoned all his of his wise men, his astrologers, his enchanters, his sorcerers. But he was a bit suspicious of their powers, because he probably had seen them working and knew that they weren't really that effective. So he um, we read at the start of chapter two that because he wasn't so convinced about their powers, he 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 said that. Um, uh, I actually want you to tell me what I'm dreaming before I tell you. And that way I'm going to know that you really do have the power to talk to God. Um, So he he gathered them all together and uh, he told them that this is what the deal was. And um, he said, um, if you get it right, um, well, you're going to be rewarded. But if you get it wrong, I'm going to cut you into little pieces. You know, so it's a pretty extreme wager here. Um, it was the extreme carrot and stick approach, you could say. Um, And of course, none of them could do it. None of them could do it. They didn't know what was going on in his head. They couldn't read his mind. Um, So he did go into a violent rage. Um, It makes me think of another future leader of the same region of the world, two and a half thousand years later, Saddam Hussein, who was famous for going in to violent rages and killing members of his family and administration. That's what Nebuchadnezzar had said that he would do because nobody could interpret his dream or even tell him what his dream was. So then Daniel's attention is uh, is, is r- raised because he hears the, the fact that everyone, all of his friends are going to be killed, all these people that have been going through this training program with him um, in the uh, Babylonian administration and... Um, all the enchanters and the magicians, they were all going to be killed. So he approached Ariok, who's the, the chief executioner. It's an interesting kind of part of the story. He's doing this kind of deal with him. And uh, Daniel had some influence and he, he thought to himself, maybe I can save these people. Maybe um, I could, um, could actually have some positive influence on this um, community that I'm living in. Now, notice that Daniel is doing what he's doing is he's trying to serve the other public servants. He's trying to bring some peace. He's trying to do something good for the city, and he can do this because he's chosen to work and um, amongst the people and maintain his faith. We we looked at that last week. The kind of the challenge of kind of navigating your way through. Um, Uh, being a Christian in a a non-Christian culture. Well, he's doing that thing as a Jew in a pagan culture, in a pagan workplace. Um, Now, the prophet... There had been prophets around the time of Daniel, false prophets, who'd been telling the Israelites who were in exile to um, actually not mingle with the Babylonians and to live on the outskirts of the city. Um, And the prophet Jeremiah heard about this, and you read in Jeremiah 29... Um, A letter that Jeremiah wrote to the people and it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers you too will prosper. This is exactly what Daniel is doing. He's taking the advice of Jeremiah. He's living amongst the people. He's bringing peace to the city. And we will see, as the story goes on, how it actually ends up causing him to prosper. Daniel is actually um, showing us a great model for ourselves to not be timid in our workplaces, to actually pray for our workplaces and our context that we live in, and to seek the peace for it. Daniel kept a strong faith while working in a pagan public service. And most people here work in a non-Christian context. Um, uh, and so you all have the ability to have influence where you are. Whether it's government, commerce, education, the arts, the health industries. Seek the peace of your workplace. If the city prospers, you'll prosper too, says Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Well, that's what Daniel did. So that night, God did reveal to Daniel the king's dream. So Daniel, of course, praises God. You see in verse 20 of chapter 2. In this psalm of praise, Daniel locates the source of the revelation in God himself. So it's it's not like Daniel's claiming the skill himself. He says, God, you're the one who changes times and seasons. You're the one who gives the wisdom to the wise. You're the one who brings down kings and raises up other kings. You're the one who reveals deep and hidden things. It got me thinking when I was reading that about um, how amazing it is um, of what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that for Christians, um, if, you're ever, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit um, which is revealing to us the things of God. Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. And I just think that's just so amazing. Daniel was praising God so much because God was revealing things to, to him. And yet we have that today um, in, a, in a post-Pentecost world as Christians. Anyway, that's an, an exciting thought for me. So Daniel approaches the king with his revelation. Um, he goes straight to back to the executioner, Arioch. And he gets him to take him to the king. Ariok tries to get some kudos for himself. So verse 25. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Of course, um, none of the other magicians could do it, but Ariok could do it, supposedly. And then when Daniel does speak up, he does the opposite. He puts the attention back onto God. He said, no one could reveal this dream. None of the magicians or the wise men but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He, God, wants the king to know the future. God wants the king to know the future. This is why you have had trouble sleeping, says Daniel. Now here's the dream. The dream had two basic elements. The first is an enormous dazzling statue um, with a gold head and there were silver arms, um, and then a belly uh, uh, and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. And then the second part of the dream involves this rock that's cut out of of a mountain, not by human hands, um, and uh, is is thrown onto the um, statue and smashes the statue to bits. Um, And the wind blows all the pieces away, and all that's left is the original rock. And that rock turns into a mountain and grows and takes over the whole world. And here's the interpretation. See, no wonder the king had had, had had trouble sleeping only in his second year. It totally makes sense that he wanted a trustworthy interpretation. Daniel stepped up to the plate and he begins by revealing that the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar himself. And he says, God has put you in this place as king over ruler over, over everyone, king of kings. Your power, your power, You have power even over the animals. Um, God has put you here. So the, the dream interpretation starts well, and Nebuchadnezzar is probably thinking, oh, well, yes, I am like a head of gold. I am like that. Um, more than this, um, there is a silver layer, though, and uh, that's the next kingdom that's going to come, and that kingdom uh, will be inferior to yours. And then there's a third layer uh the bronze layer, which will, will be mighty and strong, and then there's a fourth layer, layer, the iron layer, which will be really powerful. But the fourth layer is, has also got problems, because Daniel says, you saw feet that were made of iron and clay mixed together, which caused it to be both strong and brittle at the same time, uh, which gave it a weakness. And this is a divided kingdom. Uh, now it's a temptation for us as we're reading through Daniel to try and work out what these kingdoms are and who are these kingdoms or who does it refer to? Is it referring to the kingdoms that come after Babylon? Is it referring to the Roman Empire? Is it referring to the Americans? You know, you can go in all kinds of directions as you start trying to an- analyse these things. That's not really the point. The point is revealed in verse 44, which says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall this kingdom be left to another people. It shall crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. See, Daniel reveals that the rock that is cut out of the mountain, not by human hands, um, but it, and that destroys the statue is actually God's kingdom. All other kingdoms will end, but this kingdom will continue forever. This is God's true and trustworthy revelation of the future to Nebuchadnezzar. Now in Isaiah forty nine verse twenty three it says this. It says, "Kings shall bow down to you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for Me shall not be put to shame." And this is what Daniel suddenly experiences. He experiences the king bowing down to him. That's what it says. It says, "Nebuchadnezzar lay prostrate, prostrate on the ground." I always get that wrong. <laughs> Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you are able to reveal this mystery. Nebuchadnezzar is blown away by the fact that he was able to, to provide this revelation. And the king gave Daniel and his friends a huge pay rise and a promotion. Um, lots of treasure. So there's the there's story. Now, you've heard the story. I've kind of referred to some things along the way. Uh, but then we get to the point of going, well, what does that mean for us today? And I see two things here that we can draw out of the passage that really speak to us. Um, And it depends on who you identify with in the story. I think the main people we should be identifying with, perhaps, are the exiles, the Jewish exiles. And there's hope for them. But you could also identify with Nebuchadnezzar. And there's a warning for him. Let's think about the hope first. If you identify with the Jews of Daniel's day, living in ex- exile, and you're thinking of yourself, perhaps as a Christian, living in ex- exile as citizens of heaven, then you can have hope. See, even though they were far away from their promised land, living in another, nation, in another country, under an, another set of rules and, uh, and being oppressed, they could have hope that God's kingdom was more powerful than all other kingdoms that he would destroy, even though it didn't look like it at the time, that he would come and eventually reign and, um, and have victory. If you're feeling overwhelmed by the state of the world now, as Christians in 2015, and the place of other Christians in the world, then this will be a great hope for you. Last year we prayed a lot for the Christians in Iraq and their treatment by ISIS. And um, I'm sure for those people under great suffering in that part of the world, this kind of story is a great hope because even though it feels like the world around you is against you, you can have hope in the big picture of what God's plans are, that his kingdom will reign. When the angel Gabriel announced Jesus' birth to Mary, he said, he will reign over the house of Jacob Forever, And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And when Jesus began to minister, he proclaimed that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. So it looked like to the disciples that the prophecies of Daniel were actually coming real in front of their eyes. And it was God's kingdom, that the rock was coming. And Jesus even identified himself as the rock on various occasions. You know, and and, and uh, this rock was actually having an impact. And um, you can understand why the disciples um, on many occasions asked Jesus when, when he's going to restore the kingdom back to Israel because they're thinking, um, well, um, you know, just like the statue in Daniel's dream was destroyed, so, so maybe what we're going to see is now Jesus is going to destroy the Roman Empire. But what they had to learn was that the kingdom of God came in two stages. First, the already stage uh, of the kingdom with Jesus' first coming, and second, the not yet stage of Jesus' second coming. But as Jesus said, it was not for them to know the time or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Instead, Jesus sends them out to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Thus, the rock in Nebuchadnezzar's dream begins to grow over the whole world. The mountain takes over, just like in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. See, Jesus wants to reassure us of God's plans. And he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's also a warning here. That's the hope. There's a warning. The other person we could identify with in this story is Nebuchadnezzar himself. I don't know if you picked this up, but I'm sure he was clear about what the dream meant. In the next chapter in Daniel 3, we see that he actually goes on to build, ironically, a huge statue, and everyone goes to bow down to that statue. And it's like he had a vision of what kind of king he wanted to be. This kind of picture of himself in the future. This great, mighty king, with the, you know, represented by this huge statue that everyone would come and dazzling, made of gold. Everyone would bow down. And in some ways, I think we all have the danger to be like Nebuchadnezzar, having this picture of the future of ourselves. This image of what we could become. This dazzling, ginormous version of ourselves. An idealised self. This is just like the drum student um, in the whiplash film, actually. He had an idealised vision of himself. And he was aiming towards that. I'm going to be the greatest drummer in the world. Trying to knock out all the other drummers. Trying to make it as the king of drummers. What God said to Nebuchadnezzar is this. He's saying to us as well. Whatever you build your life on, it has feet of clay. Unless it's building your life on me. Whatever you build your life on, apart from me, says Jesus, it has feet of clay. You have a dream of your kingdom, but I am coming to smash it down. Only my kingdom will last. So what is your foundation? What are your feet made of in your idealised self of the future? Are you trying to build a dazzling gold version of yourself? Perhaps that's why I woke up several times over the years at three o'clock in the morning stressing because I was having my Nebuchadnezzar moments. Perhaps God was trying to say something to me about what I was striving for. We all need to abandon our own kingdom building projects and do what Nebuchadnezzar did, which was to humble himself in praise to God and to say, our God is the God of gods. He's the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. So be inspired by Daniel's boldness to bring peace to the city. Have hope that no matter how um, the world may look, God's kingdom will ultimately rule. And be warned not to be like a Nebuchadnezzar and try and build your own kingdom with a dazzling version of yourself. Humble yourself before the God of gods. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this uh, great story. We pray that we can be um, inspired by Daniel, but also humbled uh, in in our lives. We pray that our feet and our foundation is you and not anything else. Amen.